Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to episode 49 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast given a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, lactose intolerant. <laughs> and uh, joining us tonight, he is a director of a whole load of things, most recently uh, Life Changer. It's Mr. Justin McConnell. Justin, hi. Hey, how are you guys? Very well, thank you Justin, and thank you for taking the time to do this, and most importantly, thank you for exposing Mitch to Ice Cream Man. First view in over here. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, I, it's a fun movie that I've got a, sort of a long history of seeing it a long time ago, and then sort of introducing people to it gradually over time, and uh, we'll get into all that. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of going to lead with that. I mean, why this film? How did you come across it? And uh, yeah, why did you gravitate towards it for this? Well, I, I mean, it's one of those movies that you always see the cover in the video store. So I'm, I was born in 1981, so I was quite coming of age and as a teenager and stuff through the video store boom. And I'd always go, you know, raid horror sections and came from a really small town. So when I'd end up in a bigger town or a city, I'd go to the bigger video store and be like, holy shit, look at all these movies I've never even heard of. Um, and subscribe to Fangoria and all that sort of thing through my, through my teenage years. And Ice Cream Man's one where I always saw the cover art and it always kind of got my imagination going, even though I could tell it was like low budget and cheesy and probably not very good. I had to see it, you know, like when you see the cover for something like The Carpenter with uh, Wings Hauser or whatever, you're <laughs> like, I don't know if I want to rent that, but I bet it's pretty fun to watch. And, and then uh, when I moved to Toronto in early 2000s, uh, I used to go to Suspect Video with the one that burned down. And uh, that's where I eventually rented it, probably in around 2001 or 2002. Okay. And I'll, I'm going to preface this by saying that uh, this this whole pro- podcast is about movies that probably, you know, you're trying to rehabilitate or like the audience at large or people that would have seen it when it came out or whatever. Yeah. Uh, saw it as as you know a, not a good film i have no aspersions on the fact that this is technically not a good film uh-huh. but what it is is a really unique and entertaining film and the first time that i saw it i i was kind of you know i was i was i smoked a fair bit of weed in my, in my early <laughs> 20s i was pretty baked the first time i saw it you will find but, no judgment here <laughs> yeah but whatever vibe it, it was putting down to me in that room at that time it ju- i just clicked with it and how idiosyncratic it is and weird. And I just kind of fell in love with it on that level where you know in the back of your mind, yeah, this is technically not good, but holy shit, this this sequence with Jan Michael Vincent going through the mental institution <laughs> and holy, like all this stuff is, it kind of sticks out as, as, okay, they really tried to do something here. And even if they may have failed in some level, it's, it's just really interesting. So then mm-hmm. throughout like the early 2000s, I have this friend Sam Schrader who'd come stay with me uh, annually for a week a year, and uh, and I introduced him to it, and he got he kind of got a little obsessed then too. That's uh, Paul Schrader's son, and then eventually I got the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray that came out last year. So I, I, it was probably f- another 15-year gap between when I saw it then and when I saw it again, 
and I exposed like Dave Alexander to it. The, the guy who used to be managing editor Rue Morgan. He's yeah. like, what the fuck, man? This is crazy. <laughs> um, so and so I've probably seen it five times in my life, which is a lot of times for a movie like Ice Cream Man. But <laughs> there's just something about it. Each time I see it, I notice some new little thing that that's just like, what? <laughs> you know? And it, it's 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 just really, really entertaining. I do believe that it's it's one of those movies where you can't you couldn't possibly go forward and attempt to make a movie like this intentionally that has this kind of weird outsider charm. It's the kind of thing that happens almost accidentally. And and that's why I like it so much. It it comes from a, a position of watching it detached from the critical mind and sort of like getting into the mindset of what it's trying to do in in a very quirky kind of way. And now I've watched all the bonus materials on the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray because there's like a Monster Vision episode with Joe Bob Briggs about yeah. it. There's mm-hmm. like director's commentary. There's interviews with the producers and director and Clint Howard who we'll get into because um, I think he's really, really good in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no matter what else you say, Clint Howard like gives 110% to this role and there's certain scenes. Anyway, so yeah, there's just this long history of really enjoying the experience of watching this movie as ridiculous as it is makes sense yeah I mean, and uh yeah and uh introducing people to it as well which is always good yeah and yeah it was the it was the vinegar syndrome blue that that you watched tonight mitch it was indeed yeah. yeah we watched it right before we came up here it was my first watch um and it was the vinegar <laughs> syndrome blu-ray that we watched justin i don't know if you've listened to the show before but there is something that we make everyone do that comes on um for the benefit of anyone who is listening that hasn't seen ice cream man andy is gonna put 30 seconds on the clock. I'm going to count you in and we're going to ask you if you'd like, if you're prepared, if you're ready, to uh, give your best shot at a 30-second synopsis of Ice Cream Man. Are you ready, sir? I think I could do this, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Three, two, one, go. After witnessing the gangland slaying of his favorite ice cream man when he's a child, uh, a kid grows up through a mental institution and then becomes an ice cream man himself, believing he wants to bring good to the world, but also killing people who uh, get in his way or he has the whim to do while trying to bring happiness to children um, and maybe potentially killing them too. Uh, it, it, I don't know. I think that's pretty much... Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's close enough. Yeah, that's all the key points, I <laughs> with, think. With bags, yeah. bags of time remaining. Yeah, that's a strong performance. Those tend to go pretty horrifically, so I would say that's one of the better ones we've had. <laughs> Um, I, I knew nothing about this going in. Uh, Andy filled me in on a little bit of trivia as we got going, uh, including the other credentials of the director. <laughs> yeah, he's made a hundred and uh, I'm trying to remember 125 feature films, 124 of which that aren't Ice Cream Man are all porno. Uh, he's a, he's a, he, 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 this is the only film he's directed with his real name, Norman Epstein. Uh, yeah. I think his uh, his other name is Paul, Paul Norman. Norman. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, he's made. I think the last film he made was like sperm trash or sperm. <laughs> anyway, uh, I think I think you might be thinking of uh, sperm bitches. That's it, sperm bitches. And right, be- right before he made Ice Cream Man, he made Intercourse with a Vampire one and two, uh, and also <laughs> Edward Penis Hands. Uh, yeah, he. Oh yeah, that's right. He made Edward Penis Hands. Okay, yeah. So like, he's made some some porno classics. Yeah, he's got but, cre- he's uh, got credentials. Yeah, and and the producer, the main money guy in the movie, the previous ma- film he made before Ice Cream Man was. Um, let me think. I, let me see if I remember this. Um, the Erotic Adventures of the Three Musketeers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so like. <laughs> Like, this is a film made by people who cut their teeth in porno, 
but then put together enough money to make a feature film and actually cast a, a legitimately pretty solid cast. Like it's like Olivia Hussey, Clint Howard, uh, David Naughton from yeah. American Werewolf mm-hmm. in London, Jan Michael Vincent, uh, Lee Majors the second, so Lee Majors' yeah. son, David Warner, and uh, Sandal Bergman from Hell Comes to Frogtown. Absolutely. So like, there's a there's actually a really good eclectic cast surrounding Clint Howard in this, and the kids are all pretty good too. I mean. your results may vary but they they when they're they deliver the dialogue they feel kind of like real kids most of the time and um and and the kid who plays tuna is actually really funny but he's not i think that's one of my one of my favorite idiosyncrasies of the film is you know he's he's the fat kid in the movie but he's (laughs) the actor isn't uh they just stuffed a big pillow down his shirt (laughs) that's funny because you you can actually see the angle of like the angles of the pillow. There's it's, a one no, there's a shot where you can see the top of the pillow. It, it, <laughs> like sticking at the top of his shirt. And the director actually points it out in his commentary. He's like, there's the pillow. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I think that this film may hold the record for the quickest or earliest drive-by shooting in a film. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's immediate. It's like tracking shot down to ice cream truck, drive by shooting ice cream man's dead, and then uh, the kid version of the ice cream man of Gregory is like, "Who brings the ice cream now?" or whatever he says. Yeah, it's pretty much exactly <laughs> yeah. that. I would, I would, I would say yeah. that the actual drive by is about seven seconds in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like you say, um, wh- who we will learn to be uh, is child Gregory. Kind of uh, sits down and kind of yeah, just kind of laments not so much the fact that the guy himself is dead, but where will the ice cream come from? And, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we fast forward and it all starts immediately making perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, they don't really waste any time. Uh, although I did, in the interview with the producer on the Blu-ray, he did mention that the first cut of the film that he watched was two and a half hours. Holy and shit. He, wow. pulled, he, pulled, he pulled it away and cut it down to 90 minutes. <laughs> so there's a lot more story out there somewhere. But yeah, but I, I could see that because like there's... A, all the actors that are in the movie and stuff that you could, they, they, the, especially the parents, they seem to have this, like, I'm not going to say it's on the level of Twin Peaks, but there's this Twin Peaks level surreal melodrama going on with all the parent characters. Oh, yeah, and yeah, I bet yeah. there's a, there's a ton more of that that probably got cut out. I think certainly Heather's family. Um, there seems to be mm-hmm. a lot of stuff going on there with the, the kind of religious aspect and um, whatever's, yeah. whatever's going on with the mum, which is never fully explored. And then it's kind of, when you see it at the, at the end, she, She's just normal as if none of that. Yeah, yeah. When she's speaking in tongues and having a seizure or whatever, and then David Warner's very, very happy about that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's uh, it's got full of it's full of little tiny moments like that. So yeah, we meet Gregory in adult form, played here by uh, Clint Howard, and I think we may as well just talk about Clint Howard in general in this film right now because yeah, sure. It's a film that is full of kind of interesting performances, and uh, it's a film that I think that. In a way, it being trimmed down from two and a half hours kind of makes sense because I feel like it's pulled back to its absolute bullet points. I feel like every scene, mm-hmm. I feel like every scene is like an event. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, he's doing great work here. Yeah, I think it's the, probably the the best. Like, he, I know he's really proud of the role. Maybe not so much the film as much, but he, I know he's super proud of the role. He's said it tons of times in tons of interviews. He, it's deserving of that. Um, there's yeah. a part where he's in the graveyard and he's talking to the dead, basically. To, Brickle, the you know the yeah, yeah. ice cream man who died, and then it's almost like he can hear other dead people or whatever, or he's just crazy, and apparently that's all ad lib by Clint Howard, oh, and wow. it's all it all comes from experiences he had in his past where he like because he had trouble with alcohol and stuff like that, he he, he remembered a time when he was in a graveyard sort of or or it, it, like 
in that sort of situation. So he talked to the director and the director had similar past experiences and he just sort of like went for it. And there's apparently tons and tons and tons and tons of ad lib stuff. And the editor just kind of compared it down to what, what's on the screen. Okay. But yeah, he put, he put like as much effort as he possibly could into the role, which is for ice cream, man. That's, uh, that's admirable. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think so. And, um, the, we're kind of, the first kind of encounter we get of him kind of selling ice cream to the kids and that he's Mm -hmm. obviously kind of like pretty disturbed from out of the gate, but also, everything you see in the back room of that truck is absolutely revolting like whether (laughs) like whether it whether it is kind of like the kind of human remains or parts or just the ice cream itself everything there's this kind of forensic close-up of everything that just makes everything seem about 20 percent more disgusting you you mean the fact well there's like rats and cockroaches running through it and yeah it's uh it's almost like you want a creepy ice cream truck? Well, we're going to throw everything we can at the screen right away so you know that this uh-huh. is dangerous as fuck or it's just really gross. And we're not we're not sure yet, but um, obviously I think there's some kind of blood or something at the beginning in the ice cream truck. Like I'm pretty sure there's body parts to begin with. Yeah, I have no I idea so. who the there's, there's certainly co- yeah. There's certainly cockroaches. <laughs> yeah, running is, through all the ice cream and all the ice cream is always like half melted and and like doesn't yeah, look like it holds its form it's very and every gloopy. cone he, he hands over is like pouring over the edges and so your hands instantly covered in ice cream the second you get the cone <laughs> it's yeah uh, I, I think because of that kind of it kind of feels like the whole film or all these scenes are kind of coated in a layer of filth yeah yeah that's definitely another thing i, I like about the movie too is is that there's some movies that have it, like Street Trash or uh, a lot of that that 80s um, 42nd Street cinema stuff that mm. like Frank Henelotter would make or whatever. They'd have this sort of level of grime and grit to them that you you almost can only get from being there and making it there. Uh, and Ice Cream Man may not be on the same level because it's got this sunny L.A. kind of vibe or like California at least. But it's definitely got a grimy feel that comes from the era and what they were shooting on and just like the way the world looked then to some yeah, extent. Yeah, yeah. I think it plays nicely like, <coughs> opposite the suburbanness of it all. Yeah. Which I like. I also like the fact that obviously the, we talked about past forays in pornography or pretty much a whole career built around pornography. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot yeah. of times in this where that kind of pornographer's eye has been brought to some of the more close-up moments, which you kind of yes. get round about here, but it's just focusing in on something utterly disgusting and real, real detail. Are you talking about like when Lee Majors the second is chewing on an eyeball? Well, that <laughs> it's that. like it's like a close-up of his of his lips and his beard all filled with gunk and stuff. Yeah, like yeah, there's there's lots of moments like that for sure. The kill scenes too are are very much like they're they're tongue in cheek and the effects aren't incredible or anything, but um, they're they're very they don't hold back really much yeah <laughs> sometimes yeah. they'll cut away and you'll see the aftermath but it, it's it's not like they were trying to hold anything back yet at the same time it, the director felt he was making a kids movie and then every once in a while he'd throw in a gork egg yeah <laughs> so. yeah that's that's quite a good way of putting it you were talking a second ago as well about um the kids in this film and saying that kind of like they're all doing pretty good work and we meet them here uh the rocketeers mm-hmm. small paul yeah the uh <laughs> the the mega losers club yeah, <laughs> yeah totally uh, um yeah small paul tuna heather and racer and roger yeah although he's kind of fringe to begin with yeah he's he's he's, he's there but he's not there that often but the, the core club yeah tuna and small paul make the, the biggest impact because small paul's like one of the bigger parts of the story and tuna i guess is the lead kid which I'm assuming they made him a fat kid. So by the end of it, and I guess people who listen to this, 
they don't care about spoilers. And this movie came out 30 years ago, so you know I think the moratorium's been lifted. But <laughs> by the end of the, by the end of the movie, uh, you know he's thin, Paul, right? He, he's he or not Paul? He's uh he's still tuna, but he's like he's lost all the weight, which is really they took the pillow out of his fucking. Shirt. <laughs> but, <laughs> what but, transformation? I'm sure it was just cheaper than like casting an actually overweight kid and then having him work out a ton and shooting us the scene in six months or whatever. <laughs> Mitch, yeah. you had mentioned that his surname is Casera or something that sounds very much like Casserole. Yeah, his name is very, yeah. very close to Tuna Casserole in this film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's good. I think the, yeah, the kids are all pretty good and it's important that we touch at this point on the fact that um, uh, Roger goes missing really early on. Yeah, he goes missing and everyone assumes he's dead or at least the kids start assuming that the ice cream man took him or killed him or whatever. I, I don't remember at what point they figure that out or, or but obviously the ice cream man's got this sort of creepy aura around him so that they clue in kind of early that you know he is a threat uh and then they start likening him to the pied piper and i don't know how they <laughs> they jump to that conclusion but that seems to be a theme throughout the entire movie yeah. uh, of, of the ice cream man sort of like leading kids away and even in the asylum scene later if you if you notice as they're doing these long tracking shots with jan michael vincent and lee majors the second and all the crazy people are sort of attacking them the ones that he, they pass just fall in line between them and start following these cops like the pied piper and, and there's all like all these sort of like little hints at that but it, it's sort of muddled it's one of those themes that's kind of muddled a little bit so mm-hmm. it pops up from time to time but it's like i'm not sure i don't i don't follow that but cool i mean it's an, it makes it feel like more of a fairy tale i suppose which it kind of is yeah <laughs> yeah you're right though it kind of like it kind of comes and goes in that lore kind of as it pleases a little bit mm-hmm. also we can like we get kind of pretty hands-on stuff in terms of precisely the kind of person we're dealing with with gregory i came we came and you already but shortly after this mm-hmm. he kills a dog using um, a flick knife that he has uh stashed inside an ice cream cone <laughs> it's like a push, yeah. it's like a push-up ice ice cream thing and uh yeah it's got a blade in it <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he like pushes the cone down and there's a blade at the top. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, the minute that this dog appears on screen, if there was an award for most inevitable pet death, this would this would walk it. Yeah, probably. And I'm, I'm like, that's probably the one section of the, the movie I, I'm not super keen on just because I don't like dog killed movies. But, sure. you know, yeah. it, in the 90s, you know, dogs were cannon fodder like crazy. So understandable and then of course it's olivia hussey's dog so and olivia hussey is um his care nurse that's come from the asylum to live near next to him uh so obviously she's almost like a, a mother figure to him and she's constantly looking for her dog for the rest of the movie yeah, and but- i always thought it was it was kind of weird yeah i think like, that's quite sad well, yeah I'll but it's weird because Gre- gregory knows it's her dog so it's almost like why wouldn't the dog know him to begin with and why would he kill the dog? Olivia Hussey here. I'll tell you what else she's doing. She's chewing the scenery. Like, <laughs> Big time. So, so she, they also grayed out her hair a lot, right? And tried to make her look older. Because <laughs> she wasn't that old when they shot this. No. No, no, no. But, I mean, she's clearly an incredibly attractive younger woman. Yeah. And I, I look at that career trajectory, right? You know, from Romeo and Juliet or to Black Christmas to ice cream man i mean there's a lot of other stops in between but it's uh it's it's just interesting to see that sort of thing and and i always love that as the performers get later in their life they start doing weirder and weirder stuff and i i have to appreciate that that she was willing to say yes to the project first of all and secondly to just like go for it yeah (laughs) The Nick Cage approach. Oh, the, the Nick Cage. Maker. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, especially with Nick Cage lately, where it seems like, is the script super weird and is, like, Sion Sono directing it? Okay, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's around this point we find out Roger's missing. We get this kind of through this very brief uh, scene at Racer's family. They're having dinner. We meet Racer's brother, yep. Jacob, and all that stuff. They burn through that <laughs> and... Jacob. Uh, Jacob. 
What a guy. Yeah. Jacob's a DB. Yeah, he seems like a really nice fella. I'm, I really can't wait till he becomes a police officer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At, um, that, at that dinner, actually, they, uh, there's a line in it that's um, the inmates are running the asylum, which is uh, pretty funny when, when later on, obviously, the inmates are running the asylum. But one thing I noticed at the beginning of the movie, and apparently it's not intentional, but there's uh, the park worker that they meet very early on, oh, like yeah. around this time, uh, acts like one of the escaped mental patients. And I, th- I think he was just a, a park worker that t- couldn't act very well. And they had gave like a weird, quirky kind of performance. And uh, but I always thought that, oh, OK, so there's a bunch of these mental patient guys throughout this particular town. But I don't think that's true. I don't think that was intended <laughs> by the <laughs> filmmakers. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, something that's happened a couple of times, even this early on, is that we've had these kind of nonspecific flashbacks to what we will come to learn as Gregory's time in the mental institution. Yes. These are crazy and I think really pretty unsettling. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're shot in this crazy, weird fish angle lens. The When I just rewatched this last week, I watched it with somebody close to me uh, who hadn't seen it before. And uh, she's got like a, uh, a needle phobia. Oh, right. <laughs> oh yeah. Like among all other things. And uh, the parts where they're injecting that massive syringe into his temple filled with the reanimator serum, oh, yeah. or, or at least it looks like a homage to the reanimator serum, mm-hmm. made her cringe so hard. <laughs> like it's because it, it's pretty effectively done. And uh, yeah, they're really, really unsettling scenes. Yeah. Totally through dream logic. And again, probably some they, they have a pornographer's eye a little bit. They're yeah. they're very over the top, but at the same time, like it, the room is well designed. It's antiseptic yep. looking. Uh, it's stylized without being cheap looking. Mm-hmm. There's also kind of pretty clear nods to like John Wayne Gacy in there and other. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, the, I mean, the that, clown with that, the ice. Yep. The weird clown that's just there in one scene. Yep. When the kite string pops. <laughs> <laughs> An investigation's underway at this point for uh, Roger, helmed by our two detectives who we meet around here. <laughs> yeah. Pretty <laughs> interesting stuff. <laughs> John Michael Vincent uh, cracks me up in this film. It's almost as if he's just decided, I'm going to do the least I can. There's a bit of background on that one, though. Uh, so um, his wife had to be on set every single day in order to make sure he wasn't so drunk by 10 a.m. that yeah. he couldn't do his lines. Right. That was that was the dark reason for that, was that just before they shot Ice Cream Man, his son died in a helicopter accident on the set of Airwolf, which was Jan Michael Vincent's own show. Mm-hmm. So he's in heavy mourning during the shooting of Ice Cream Man and drunk all the time to cope with it. Jeez. Okay. I mean, he, he had- yeah. He famously had a lot of drink and drug issues anyway, to the point where I think he wound up getting a leg amputated in the kind of mid-2010 time. So yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me at all. But but, uh, but still, he's a, he's a even when he's just phoning it in, he's, he's a pretty magnetic performer and, uh, you know, he left us obviously pretty recently. Like, yeah. he, he died yeah. very soon, very recently. So I don't know if Ice Cream Man is, is probably his proudest moment, but uh, <laughs> it's definitely a moment and it's I think it's one worth noting. Um, and it doesn't look like he's like he's really struggling so that no. I, I hate when you see a performance from someone when you know they're going through something like that and it's just written all over them i mm-hmm. i think there's something I, for for as little physically as he's doing a lot of the time i think there is something about the performance here that kind of draws your eye definitely well especially in the asylum scenes how calmly he he moves through everything as if like uh, I, I like I look at it as like if you're walking through a pack of wolves or something, you don't make any sudden movements, and it's almost like he's doing that exact same thing. He's he's if someone gets really close to him enough that he he needs to fight back, he does. But otherwise, he's just calmly 
like at the same pace moving through all these people and making sure he doesn't provoke them by just like and obviously they're all swarming around him but um it, it makes a lot of sense whereas when lee majors the second walks through uh you know you know he's he's like taking making a point of like punching as many people as he possibly fucking can and he's he's got he's got a much harder way out of that and it's almost like jan michael vincent makes it out just by calmly walking he takes a little longer but it's like slow and steady wins the race <laughs> that's that practiced policeman's patience going on there like that's that's learned behavior yeah exactly i think what we get straight after this is one of the kind of more like one of the most caricature moments in a film that is full of them it's gregory back out in the van again and the lady from number 149 the neighbor yeah. who kind of looks like she's walked straight off the set of one of uh, his other films <laughs> Uh, yeah exactly maybe it's entirely possible <laughs> barges away at the front of the queue and uh kind of flirts outrageously with gregory and invites him over this entire sequence to me is absolutely insane yeah because she really really wants that uh creepy ice cream man dick <laughs> and, it's, and it's very odd to me like she's like this is where i live you can come in anytime whatever you want ice cream man but she's already having an affair with david naughton yeah. Uh, who is married to another woman uh, who's also a decently well-known. She's, yeah, the That's David Nunn's wife in the movie play was with uh, Schwarzenegger and Conan, right? She was, I think she's the, like, the strong warrior woman yeah. in Conan. Yeah, and she's in but, Hell Comes to Frogtown, which is, and in Hell Comes which from, yeah, is right, my, right. my favorite of her performances. Uh, in, yeah. in Hell Comes to Frogtown. I just rewatched that recently, too. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I don't know, I've been on a, hey, what were the crazy fucking movies you watched growing up kick? Um... <laughs> But yes, it is a very, very odd scene. Um, and as soon as he, he sort of rebuffs her, the the kids—it's almost like she does all of this right in front of like fifteen kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When one of the kids says that she like that she smells really weird. Yeah. I, I don't even want to. Don't yeah. even want let's to know. Let's not, let's not go into that. Um, uh, yeah. I love that everyone calls Gregory Ice Cream Man. Yeah, even when they know his name, like the cops later learn his name and they still just say. What do you think, Ice Cream Man? <laughs> Get out of the way, Ice Cream Man! Yeah. I kind of feel like the only reason that I the only reason that I know his name is because he's called it by his mother right at the start. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you, like you very seldom hear his, Olivia, his name. Olivia Hussey says it constantly. Yeah, mm-hmm. Olivia. Oh yeah, Olivia Hussey does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, right after this, we talked about this a second ago, but the um, Heather heads back at this point, and you've got the kind of religious thing. Her Heather gets mm-hmm. home, and her mom's catatonic or speaking in tongues or something. And her dad, mm-hmm. uh, like you say, he's thrilled about this, thinks that she's being uh, used as a vessel by the Archangel Gabriel. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I would say that, um, like I say, this is kind of what I'm talking about. When you say they cut an hour out of this, I'm assuming that at least some of that would have been spent fleshing this out, because this is a really kind of bizarre... In isolation, this is kind of a bizarre thing that is presumably something that would have been developed a little more. Well, I'd assume you don't hire David Warner and then only give him three scenes. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm guessing there's quite a bit more with him because I think he only has three scenes in the movie. There, there's a, a, a sermon in the church when the cops come by and they're like, your daughter's missing. And he's like, no, she isn't. And uh, this scene. And otherwise, she's he's barely in the movie. You and that's what a, a lot of the parent characters are like that. And I get what they must have done, cutting it to strip it down to, like, focus on the kid's story, don't deal with all this other stuff. Although I would have loved to see more stuff with Clint Howard. Yeah, I think that this particular thing it must have been woven through the film more. But from the way the director tells it in his interview or his commentary, they kind of blend for me, um, <laughs> the, is that all these parents, he gave them crazy, like, stress, stressful conflicts so that it would, would seem every time a kid would go home, they'd be in the middle of this scene where it's like, oh, I can't tell my parents anything right now. They're in the middle of this. And then they have to go upstairs. So they eventually have to deal with it themselves. And that's the same thing with when, like... Uh, 
is it tuna that goes goes home and his parents are fighting and he he has to go upstairs because they're they're arguing over the affair or whatever well, that's re- yeah. that's uh, yeah yeah tuna yeah so it, it, it's almost like the parents aren't going to listen and they're too busy with their own shit to help them with the ice cream man to begin with yeah so it's kind of it's kind of all designed to kind of give you the idea that the kids are on their own here yes yeah, yeah. add in another uh, nice sensitive portrayal of mental health to the films that we've done Mitch it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so not a staggering percentage of the films that we've covered for this show have either a really wildly insensitive portrayal of mental health or of uh, <laughs> mental hospitals or both. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> certainly not a sensitive portrayal, but I do think that uh, Clint Howard at least brings a bit of nuance to it. Uh, at least he's he's thinking of the core of this person, and he's not just going, blah, 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 I'm the ice cream man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> although he does, he does do that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course. He has his one-liners because it's a '90s hor- like horror movie. But at least it t- you take a moment, you feel at least a degree of sensitivity towards him. You know, he's not—he's—he's—he's he's, he's a gray area villain to some extent. Although he's a straight-up murderer. <laughs> yeah, he's also that. Yeah, I think that yeah. actually, um, one of your kind of very creepiest Clint Howard sequences uh, comes up right about here. Right I think. here, yeah, because um, uh, you've got Small Paul uh, going in for- the wall. Mitch said almost the same thing we'll get to that but yeah I actually had written down that he stashes small Paul in the hallway wall yeah (laughs) Um, but yes sorry we're we're talking about small Paul's abduction yes his abduction Um, this uh, this sequence obviously when he's kind of in the back of the van talking to him and stuff like that and you'll learn a little bit Mm. about uh, small Paul a little bit about Gregory this entire scene is genuinely really creepy and I think that a lot of that lies in how straight Clint Howard plays it. Well this is coming right off the back of when Small Paul walks into this scene, he catches Clint mm-hmm. Howard doing this weird solo jig, which is pretty creepy yeah. before we kind of get into, I guess, the kind of deeper discussion and their bonding moment that the two of these characters have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Small Paul notices the garbage poker with blood on it, and all of a sudden, uh, Ice Cream Man goes into a defensive state. Whereas I feel he would have just given Small Paul ice cream and let him go on his way if that hadn't have happened. It's... It, but that I guess that's the, what the tension of the scene is supposed to have, and it doesn't necessarily it, it moves more over into, into creepy than tense. In, in like, <laughs> I think even the director himself thinks that these scenes now, like looking back on them, feel like there's a, an undercurrent of pedophilia to it, which is not meant like they didn't intend right. it. But the, like a modern audience or somebody watching it could be like, what's he gonna do to that kid? Yeah, yeah. I hope he just. <laughs> I hope he just kills him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, actually, um, I didn't get that. At I was gonna say that wasn't my read either. I must say, and I was watching it for the yeah, first time. That's good. That's I did get good. it, but, from... but I think our age, though, we we wa- we watched a lot of kids in peril movies. Yeah, and I think a, a modern audience might watch it and think they'll jump to a different conclusion potentially. I did think that about the park attendant guy at the start. Oh, he definitely had a pedophilic yeah. vibe. And for then sure. there's way more. With, there's another guy later, the butcher oh, guy yeah. in the in the supermarket. He's got that vibe. Tuna stumbles across uh, this scene, and then he takes off running. We find out at this point that Roger uh, isn't dead at all. He's hiding in a bush. In a bush, <laughs> and um, they kind of they both trade individual stories of uh, Gregory having killed people. Tuna believing that he's killed uh, Small Paul. And Roger believing that yep. he's killed the park sure. attendant. This is all pretty interesting. Goes straight into the uh, tuna going home. Obviously, he's going to tell his parents. It's a scene you referenced a minute ago, Justin, when they're arguing. So he just kind of bails. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and they do that uh, that big tracking shot from the arguing parents up the building to Paul Paul looking in the window. 
or looking out the window as if to say like i'm totally alone which <laughs> yeah. uh that's a, that's a lot of effort put into a scene like that well let's set up a crane and we'll do this like uh, they, i don't know they put some effort into it at least i was gonna say i think it's always interesting in things like that where you see kind of like uh, like some kind of real craft poking through with stuff like that it's mm-hmm. like, it's a, like it's a really interesting choice the next morning, I th- I thought this was really funny. In the next morning, Tuna and his mom need to. I think they're going to go to the store or something. Yeah. So yeah, uh, the she, grocery store. Yeah. She she opens the she opens the front door and there are a pair of Converse's there. Right. Which mm-hmm. which are okay. Like, I like, think now's a time to talk about Converse because <laughs> there's famously Converse dollars involved in the making of this film. Every character has Converse. They are lingered on to an excessive degree. <laughs> you think? Wait, you think that there was a Converse sponsorship for the Ice Cream Man, and that's why every every shoe gets such a long shot? One hundred percent. Every style and color available, the entire range. The entire range is so true. And maybe that's why Converse weren't as popular after the nineties. I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I love this because she they they're getting ready to go, and you see that there are a pair of Converses on the step, and she looks at them. Mm-hmm. And she kind of chides him for having dirty shoes, but then it zeroes into them, and like they're slathered in ice cream and worms. Yeah, <laughs> and, she's like, and she's like, and she's like, nothing suspicious about that at all. She's just like, look at the fucking state of your shoes, and then they just keep on going. <laughs> I mean, if I could explain that, like, I, <laughs> no, I just, I just, no I just thought it was really, really funny. Um, it is funny. The, um, there's a lot of that though where uh, there's very clear signs that something terrible is going on and uh, no one does anything about it no one's concerned like in the scene coming up in the supermarket I've written down in capital letters someone do something because <laughs> nobody notices it's a nobody grown- notices that the ice cream man is chasing a kid around the store with the instinct to kill him or something like that <laughs> and then the kid rides underneath a cart like he's latched to the bottom of a car to escape and nobody notices this kid in this cart <laughs> like <laughs> the entire uh, scene uh, in the supermarket is weird uh, like the woman who asks Clint Howard for beauty tips that's actually the director's wife at the time or oh, girlfriend right. at the time ah. yeah she was an adult film actress that wanted a role so he gave her a role that's uh <laughs> that's, to be but fair yeah, it, that... it, it does feel like that <laughs> yeah yeah the level of shoehorned in that that role is really fits the narrative that's the... also one of the few <laughs> uh, carpeted supermarkets that you find yeah, especially in the produce section, where it's, yeah. where it's like, oh man, they must shampoo that daily, yeah. <laughs> or they don't. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, this totally bizarre chase sequence is used here. Like I say, everything about this is weird, but I did kind of enjoy it as well. Like I oh, think, so did like, I. It's a, like it's a really interesting sequence. Um, uh, and Tuna is unable to keep his feet at any point. He's, uh, I think, he falls three or four times. Yeah, and also he's terrible at when he hides behind something, pulling his feet back. Like <laughs> they're always poking out from whatever he's hiding behind. It's like there he is. <laughs> I can see his converses from here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, he's got to hide. But we need the product. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, he eventually hides in the back with a needlessly menacing looking butcher. Yeah, yeah, intensely <laughs> pedophilic. But then that actually goes nowhere because. His, his mum finds him just casually sitting in the, the back office. Well, I'm assuming that there was a, a gap. The butcher brought him back to the store manager, and then the store manager found the mom yeah. or something like that. Yeah, there's been, that, there's been, Maybe that's part of the deleted scenes. <laughs> or, uh, or you know, it's a movie thing, and they, they jump time. But, uh, yeah, he, everything's fine. Uh, the ice cream man went home, I guess. 
Also, does the ice cream man buy his ice cream from the grocery store, or was he just shopping? No, he was just following like he makes it. He but... was just following Juno. Ah, he was okay. literally just stalking a child. Because <laughs> no, I like he doesn't know it's tuna until they are both at the same cooler, and then he looks at the shoes, and the shoes are clean, and then he looks up, and then there, there's this like back and forth, like is that oh, the kid? Is that... Uh, yeah. So I feel like yeah. he, he so he's just there shopping, I and mean, he's in the frozen section. So is there a specific ice cream where he just buys it from the grocery store and then resells it at the markup? Maybe. Yeah. Like, maybe what? it's research. <laughs> Could be research. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, I hadn't considered that, but I quite like. Um, I didn't notice them that he kind of was there anyway and clocked him. But I like the idea that he's just going to just do like a grocery shop and close him, and, and just is like, oh, that's a happy coincidence. That's that kid I was meaning to kill. Yeah. <laughs> to killing men. Um. <laughs> yeah. He's pretty. Uh, he's under a pretty heavy investigation at this point. He's one of the prime suspects, and mm. we get this um when he heads back to an ice cream parlor. That now, am I reading this right? That he is reopening an ice cream parlor here. He is. Yeah. yeah. He, or yeah. at least he's uh he's working to renovate it or to make it an operating business again because it's still yeah. in a, quite a state of disrepair. Um, but he is making ice cream out of the back of it, and that's what he like the butter brickle, that custom ice cream that I actually thought was a real thing until I realized it put two and two together that the guy's name was Brickle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've asked for that at least at, at least three different ice cream parlors in the last twenty years, and they're like, "What the fuck is butter brickle?" Well, we don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel kind of sad for him here when he goes in and yeah. uh, the police are searching and they're like obviously they're just like I mean I don't oh. think they're, not, they're just trashing the place yeah he says to yeah, one of the cops absolutely. he says could you search a little more carefully he says to the cop <laughs> with the axe <laughs> yeah I know <laughs> That guy's just and like all smash. they're really doing is just like it's smashing everything. So they're they're like, oh, that looks breakable. Smash. Yeah. <laughs> um, One of the cops but, is smashing so much stuff, like his entire cop uniform is covered in melted blue ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of ice cream? That's got to be like a sherbet or something. Yeah. It's it's way too it's way too neon to be anything I think I've ever seen on the market. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but like I say, so they don't they don't find anything here, and they kind of just storm off and leave him to it. And uh, mm-hmm. it's at this point that we find out um, that uh, small Paul's hidden in the wall. Yes. <laughs> He's at the he's at the back of a storage cooler uh, with, with a, like a like a little tiny door, and uh, it's weird how quickly Small Paul seems to get Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. Like it, it, it's almost instantaneous to begin with. It's like, well, he hasn't killed me yet, and he didn't kill this guy, so can I help you make ice cream? <laughs> it almost seems that fast, even though there's two scenes until that actually happens. But it, it, it's just. There's, it almost seems like there's no build to it in, in that uh, he, he's just been biding his time in that back cupboard for a day or two now. And he's like, I better make the best of this. I'm small Paul. yeah i I agree i kind of thought that too it's like because i think that the stockholm syndrome thing is an interesting strand but you're right it's just it's an absolute binary switch yeah it does seem a little bit standoffish to start with but it all seems to be forgiven the minute that uh, gregory makes him a cone with ice cream off the floor (laughs) yeah exactly butter brickle my favorite um And it's it's not even like it doesn't look like ice cream because it apparently it, you know real ice cream would melt so they had to make stuff out of other things like mashed potatoes and whatever else uh, so it is literally just a big pile of slop off the floor so I'd imagine the kids when they have to like eat it on camera are like 
this is fucking disgusting. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> Especially, I feel, I feel sorry for uh, is it racer later when he's got like he's just got a big spoonfuls of ice cream getting jammed in his mouth like in the truck. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, so, like, like, yeah. Literally every time I have to look at ice cream in this film, I am absolutely repulsed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely not one where you, uh, you know, you get yourself a big bowl of ice cream, sit down to watch it, and be like, "Oh, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> um, bef- before we get kind of into the rest of the story, there's a re- like a really brief scene you touched on it in the church, and this feels just there to get the use out of David Warner. Yeah, when he's got stig- <laughs> when he's got stigmata. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and they're all sort of like looking at each other. That's, they're also kind of like looking at each other because they're sitting in different pews. Uh, the kids all over the church to be like. I think we're the only ones who can do anything about this kind of thing. Yeah. I do want to say my favorite favorite shot of the movie is actually right before this, which is when uh, they're still in the ice cream parlor, mm-hmm. and Clint Howard turns on the mixer blades, which are spinning like inches away from his face, and he starts swaying back and forth trying to figure out what he's going to do next, and he has this like intense look on his face. I, I, I absolutely love that shot because yeah. of just how fucking... It, one of my, another one of my favorite sort of like weird horror movies is Christmas Evil. We've done Christmas Evil on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and in that Brent and in Maggerty, like he has all these moments where he'll like look into a mirror with the beard glued to his chin and he'll just start yanking on it, or and, and like you just this sort of outsider art kind of mega performance kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And there's a few moments in Ice Cream Man, and this is one of them where Clint Howard crosses into that. And uh, I, the, that kind of performer, and Nick Cage does it too, and you know Walton Goggins does it, yeah. and like the, these guys that are able to kind of like go beyond what might even seem sane uh, and comfortable and normal to to get to a place where in their eyes you can see, you know, even though it's a performance, you can see they're digging into something really fucking dark. It's rare, and I, this is one of those moments in the film that really kind of like endeared itself to me because of that moment. Mm-hmm. Something else I like is that um, in these scenes with uh, Small Paul and Gregory, mm-hmm. there's a lot of kind of little red herrings thrown in about what Small Paul's fate might be. Yes. So every time it cuts away, it kind of cuts away at a moment where you think that this could be the end he's, for Small Paul. Yeah, he's going to toss Small Paul into the mixer or something like that and then uh, let the blades do the work. But uh, but they, again, it, I think that throughout the entire movie, they're setting it up as like, is this guy a child killer? Is this guy a child killer? And then you realize, no, he doesn't want to kill the kids at all. Except maybe at the very end, I, I'm, I'm on the fence on if he, he's just chasing them to fuck with them or if he's actually trying to kill them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> it's hard to say. But it keeps setting up this expectation that he's killing kids, and then at the end of the day, he's not. It's almost like he's still a child at heart, and uh, and he he does actually want to bring goodness to the world, but he keeps killing either people that try and catch him or people he finds to be evil or bad, like mm-hmm. the like the guy at the park at the beginning. The, the, like, there's why did he kill that guy? Well, the, he was clearly giving off vibes of being dangerous to the kids. Yeah. Maybe it's hard to say. Really, it's it's one of those weird again a gray area villain. Yeah, yeah, and I think what you're saying is not too much of a reach, though. I like that the film takes on a kind of Goonies-esque aspect here, as the kids kind of become this investigative gang setting out to <laughs> unravel the mystery, and they know it's the ice cream man, and they feel the world needs to know, so they they've come up with a plan to photograph him in action. Yep. And, uh, the kids on bikes and yeah. with the with the berets, and they've got the rockets mounted straight up, as if that's going to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredibly obstructive. That's a hazard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. that, that, that literally does more harm than good. Stuck to the front of your bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you say, they they've got they, they kind of hatched this plan to catch him in action. Um, 
get photos or a video or whatever. They're st- they kind of they stick out his place at that night and. At this point, they follow him to a cemetery, and you touched on this earlier, Justin. But this scene is remarkable. Mm-hmm. No, it is. It's it, there's a lot of honesty to it. Um, I think Clint Howard was one of the original writers on Clean Sober, which uh, which was a movie somewhat inspired by his, his alcoholism. And again, I'm not trying to put words in Clint Howard's mouth, but um, this, this is all just stuff I picked up from interviews and whatever research. And and but yeah, this scene. First of all, to set that they set it up like he's disposing of a body, but really it's just like a, a memorial of ice cream cones being shoved in the ground <laughs> around the grave, around Brickle's grave. But Clint's performance here is is really, really, really good. And if you removed, if you just took this performance in this scene and you put it into the middle of a drama about an ice cream man. Uh, the drama would would be taken very seriously, and people would be like, "Man, that Clint Howard is a hell of an actor." Yeah, <laughs> and he's got such an interesting face. Yeah, he's definitely. There's certain things that actors, as much practice or as much, you know, effort they as they put into their craft, will never have unless they're born with it. And that, a lot of that is just like personality that comes from their overall look and the the way they carry themselves and how they're able to contort their own face to, to, you know, use what they were given to create a visage, a visage, whatever you want to pronounce it. And um, I I feel like I'm getting way too academic and weird about Ice Cream Man right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're here for, man. (laughs) But the point point being is that, like, Clint Howard's one of the, and a lot of the classic character actors and people you remember for stuff like that, um, they have that kind of a face, something you just, you cannot practice for. You've just got it or you don't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right about this time, Heather sneaks into the ice cream man's van and takes some photos. And an yeah. ice, ice cream man takes off if they're in the car or in the van. And um, there's this kind of feeling that perhaps she has become the next victim or she's been kidnapped. Um, mm-hmm. And the cops turn up at, Dave, at the door and speak to David Warner, who goes into his daughter's room to find her asleep in bed, but thinks nothing of the fact that she has black camouflage all over her face. <laughs> yeah, she must just <laughs> sleep with the with the camouflage on, you know, to blend in with the rest of the bed. <laughs> <laughs> But like, how did she escape? And then like, how did she get home in time? And it's yeah, who knows? But uh, another red herring. The movie is indeed full of those things. Also, one of the kids fires a rocket off his bike at a police car. Yeah, I just randomly out of nowhere, and the cops are like, "That kid's got a gun." <laughs> so like, um, uh, I think that see the fact that you obviously are supposed to think that Heather is the next victim and when David mm-hmm. Warner goes to the bed you are expecting it to be empty so when he finds her there I am uh, I quite like that as a kind of subverting your ex- in a subverting your expectations kind of way mm-hmm. I thought that was really mm-hmm. interesting but see that having wrong footed me going straight into the kid shooting the rocket at the car I had, a, yeah. I had a moment where I was like I am in serious danger of losing the thread here <laughs> <laughs> Like, well, the movie is like uh, constantly every scene has something weird to it where you're like, I, wh- why? Why was this choice made? But that's part of the reason I appreciate it so much because it, it does the exact opposite of what you're expecting in, in almost every case. Yeah. Um, and like you expect them at one point to fire the rocket at the ice cream man. And instead he just gets nervous and blasts the police car. With <laughs> <it>. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of crazy decisions, it's right about here as well that David Norton dies. Yeah, uh, <laughs> this is this is wild. This is everything mm-hmm. you hope for from a film called Ice Cream Man, and it, it's just great. He emerges <laughs> from a, I guess, a post-coital liaison with the yes. the weird uh, neighbor and uh, the in the negligee, and uh, he finds that his car's been blocked in by Gregory's van. Uh, he approaches the van. <laughs> 
and uh, has his face cooked on a waffle iron. Yeah, he gets press grilled to death, or at least not. To, he, I don't know if the decapitation later is what killed him, or if the press grill did. But uh, yeah, they they they, they waffle grill, waffle his face pretty nicely. It's uh, it's pretty it's pretty effectively done too. Yeah, like, it, it's, it's a super simple effect, but it's. Uh, they pull it off pretty well, and the makeup on his face is is pretty solid. Yeah, um, and that's another weird tra- career trajectory, right? David Naughton going from like yeah. American World of London to I think he did a bunch of commercial campaigns in the eighties or something like that, and then he's into Ice Cream Man for like I don't know four scenes or something. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what else this film gets right: severed heads. They're all of a pretty high standard. Yeah, the practice, especially the, the, the they only had one head of each person, so they apparently when they ever they had to throw one off camera or like one had to roll, they'd have somebody <laughs> whose entire job and it was the effects guy was it, he had to catch it before it hit the ground because they couldn't be damaged because they only had one because they one. all cost so much. Right. Because yeah, they I mean I, I know that from experience too is that like a, a severed head like a proper good severed head could be as much as ten grand. Yeah. Uh, for for one head. So it's like to do a proper like those are all proper head casts. They're painted really well. They're good copies. Like David David Naughton's especially is is a really good severed head. The two cops at the end are less so, but they you know, they're more they had to be puppeted. So Yeah. But yes, it's a really good he walks in with the ice cream cone with David Naughton's head sort of like shoved into it. The world's <laughs> largest largest waffle cone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've got such a lot of time for that moment when he unveils that from behind his back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I I'm I'm gonna stick my neck out in here and say it's my favorite moment of the film. <laughs> <laughs> I it's would. definitely very fun. Uh, of the kills, I, I do like the the cleverness of like the dual dueling cop conversation, severed heads using ice cream scoops as uh, as uh, how to move the jaw. I think is really really clever. But definitely oh. uh, definitely walking in with a giant ice cream cone, David Naughton head thing is 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 up there as one of the best uh, like horror moments. Like it's very tongue in cheek, but it's uh, it, it's definitely one of the best of the movie. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, I agree. Although now you say it, the deal in police heads is pretty spectacular. We're not, um, <laughs> uh, we're not too far away from that. Um, at this point, Heather has got her photos developed, amongst other photos, from, Jake, from Jacob's camera. Oh yeah, Jacob yeah. banging his girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, like, but that's that's you literally just see that long enough to know that that's happened, and that they have mm-hmm. evidence. Um, and then yeah, you get your kind of biggest dose of Stockholm syndrome here because, like you say, Andy, I mean, like earlier on, the ice was melting as it were, but like, um, they were kind of getting along, but here are kind of small Paul's actively taking part in all the ice cream making and all this kind of thing. At this point, mm-hmm. I mean, their, their relationship's really interesting. I think that's something else I would like to have seen more of in a longer cut of this. Yeah, uh, at least to develop it more, but also, um, I think that whole relationship, as weird as it is, kind of grounds Gregory a bit more, too. Yeah. Um, and you realize that his internal life and whatever, he's probably, he's, he's a pretty... He's probably got a lot of hopes and dreams, and like anyone else, he's not just a killer ice cream man. He wants friends, and he wants to be accepted and all that sort of thing. He just doesn't – you know, he spent most of his life in a mental institution sort of fending for himself, so he doesn't know really how to be a person. And maybe Small Paul humanizes him a little bit. Yeah, I, I think that that feels like that's what that's there to do. I think mm-hmm. it's a bit of a, a tightrope act here because I, as much as I would like to see more of it, I think the more you see, the more it kind of gives away that last scene, which you, you obviously kind of see coming, mm-hmm. but you really want to stave it off as much as possible, and I think the more of that relationship you see, the harder it is to do that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's also true. That's the other side of that coin. couple of major set pieces to get through before we get there, including uh, what I think is genuinely like it's an absolutely baffling sequence, but I do really enjoy it. This kind of protracted stint where the two detectives go to the mental hospital. It's wild. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Wild. Which that se- sequence, the first time I saw the film, is what endear- what is why I think the movie lives on in my mind as much as it does. Yeah, that's and why I we're having this, in, this like, conversation. Yeah, I think so. And I've I've said this in other interviews over the years too. Um, you know, when people would say like, I don't even remember what the question would be, but somehow it would be about why would you watch a bad film or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'd say, well, there's segments in even the, what people consider to be the worst films that are well made to the point where you should watch it and learn something about how to execute. Um, like these, this thing, the whole thing is done in long tracking shots that are, you know, it's just like they're medium to wide, wide shots on a steady cam or track pulling back gradually and letting the actual scene play out. And for the majority of the sequence, it's actually legitimately tense. Like, like Mm. as they go deeper and deeper into the hell of this asylum, as over the top as, as it is, there's actual suspense and craft going into this. It's, the background of it, from what I understand, is it's a real hospital that was decommissioned, and then it was it, what had happened was a bunch of people were holding raves there, so there was all the spray paint on the walls. Okay, and that that isn't production design where it's like welcome to hell and all that stuff. That's just what people would spray paint during these raves. So they were like, "Fuck it, let's use it all." And then they got a bunch of people in to play the uh, play the inmates. And I think the director is the one who's hanging upside down with his long hair and stuff like that. That's the director, um, right? Through, and they they just like went for it. Uh, and the segment, uh, I think I think it, I mean I don't think Lee Majors the second is the strongest performer <laughs> to be like well, like no, especially no. no. But uh, but regardless, he he sells it. And in particular, Jan Michael Vincent sells this insanity around them. And I really like that sequence lived on in my head more than almost anything else in the movie. He certainly know Lee Majors the first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think that like um, this is a scene that wouldn't that that would look out of place in a lot in a lot of, in a lot of films. And I think that this feels like the perfect apex of a lot of the kind of exaggerated and cartoonish things that have been going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This feels like the culmination well, of all of that, especially because they go in there on the investigation to talk to the doctor, and like right off the bat, the doctor seems a little off, and then you realize it's not the doctor at all; it's an inmate, and the doctor is like strapped to a table with one of those like needles in his in his temple, yeah, and and the inmates have literally taken over the asylum, so. They, they realize they've walked into, and I don't know how they didn't notice all the other crazy inmates when they walked in, but who cares? Um, <laughs> but it, it turns into this, like, descent into hell. And, 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 and in a lot of ways, I mean, it's not as extreme, but it feels like the basement dwelling segment or the void or uh, in Baskin, something similar, yeah. where it's just this l- massive number of crazy entities and they're moving through a space and trying to survive what could jump out at any moment kind of thing. Yeah. And and there is there is real suspense there. I mean, there's some humor and stuff, and there's also moments where there's, like, kids there. It's like, why are there fucking kid inmates? <laughs> but, <laughs> but it doesn't – none of that really matters because it, no. it's, it's an embarrassment of riches. It, it, and, yes, it's – it's over the top, like a lot of asylum stuff is over the top, and it's it's insensitive, like a lot of asylum stuff is insensitive because it's like when you tell an actor like play crazy, a lot of them are just going to go. Blah, 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 and run around yeah. <laughs> I think that their 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 escape from this plays out like something from a zombie movie to me. Yeah, yeah, it makes definitely. me think of the Beyond, the end of the Beyond. Mm, that, yeah, that's a good, that's a really good touchstone as well. Coming from a movie called Ice Cream Man, where you're not expecting anything but a killer ice cream man, it, it definitely, I, I, I really like movies that are willing to travel in directions that you aren't expecting, and especially like really own it, like really commit to the idea that this is where we're going for the next five to six minutes. 
Uh, I hope you're up for the ride. If you're, but if you need the, the, to be this tiny little box and this straight line, well, watch another movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, back out in civilization, another abduction. Gregory grabs <laughs> tuna. Tuna. Uh, yep. This time around, this this kicks into high gear in a way that I was not ready for. <laughs> <laughs> Did we miss when Jacob gets killed? This happens here. Um, this is pretty incredible. So at this point, yeah, we're kind of we're kind of breaking off into teams for the final standoff. Almost it feels. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got Jacob, Jacob's girlfriend, whose name escapes me, and uh, Racer <laughs> and Heather, who turn up at the parlor in uh, their car. Jacob goes in. I really like this. Is killed off camera. Yeah. While the rest but of them the, are in the, the car, the search along the wall with all the different photos, and then eventually he passes by Gregory, the ice cream man, and he's got a photo, like an empty photo frame held around his face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he looks really like funny. one of the photos <laughs> that's really good uh, but yeah, yeah I, I love when he when he comes wandering back out to the car and, hiya like... honey <laughs> they step <laughs> he gets her in the chin with the ice pick which is uh, the funny thing you said you don't recall the the character's name the director in this commentary tracks like ah oh, wonderful actress I don't recall her name oh <laughs> <laughs> I feel doubly bad now um, yeah. but yeah like see so obviously Jacob's killed off camera and he comes back out to the car wearing his clothes um, mm. Gregory does and um I love everything about the way this plays out when you see him kind of... Because obviously your very first instinct is that it's Jacob, but then the minute you see him actually start walking towards the car, you know what's coming. But the entire way it happens is so, so good. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the kids are in the back, right? There's um, uh, Heather and... Uh, Racer. Is it well, Racer who are in the back, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, and just actually the, like their screeching reactions, I think, sell, sell the horror quite a bit. Like They aren't so over the top that they're bad kid actors they 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 kind of i believe they're actually in danger and they're actually afraid and i think the whole sequence wouldn't work even though it's goofy especially when they've got the two the two severed cop heads doing the (laughs) the back and forth vaudeville routine kind of thing but uh but the kids are still selling the horror um and 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 it, it it just keeps building and building and building olivia hussey becomes involved she thinks they're playing hide and seek they're not <laughs> so she hides them but then tells gregory come here come here look the kids are in here yeah <laughs> there's a bit when uh, gregory clobbers john michael vincent and lee majors uh, the second with his, his ice, with cream, ice cream scoops, scoops and they, they <laughs> it knocks them both out somehow yeah. <laughs> out cold <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh hey there, that's actually uh, that's a good uh, good pun <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, I think we've missed uh, quite a few opportunities for some real Mr. Freeze-esque cold well puns. I mean you could always uh, freeze the podcast and anyway, oh. <laughs> making up for last time here the uh, rest of it will all be puns from this time <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, there's a, like you say, there's a little bit of zigzagging on the map here um, mm-hmm. because yeah, we we end up at Nurse Wharton's for a little while. But and... they're only a, they're only like a thirty second walk from each other. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah they're yeah. super close. But it's it's almost like a there's like a junkyard or something similar. Like where where are all those cars from? Are those cars from like where'd they all come from? I, I always I've always thought about that. It's like there's this tons of cars that he's hiding behind with these bodies and they're like running through. Whose cars are they? Why do they have like a junkyard worth? I mean, it's not thirty cars, but there's at least ten of them there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, like, are those past victims that he's kind of like collected the cars? I, I've always sort of wondered that, and mm-hmm. I always like 
subtle production design where like they, they try and fill out a backstory just by like putting things like the, the plastic sunflowers, for example, yeah. stuff like that. Like, like why that choice? And I've always wondered where the car, like from dusk till dawn, the back of the, the titty twister is like nothing but trucks and cars and like years and years and years of victims vehicles piled up. And I'm wondering if this is like that kind of thing done subtly or if they just had a bunch of cars there and they were like, we're not moving these. Yeah. I like that idea that it's, uh, it's all, past victims i mean i mean like whether or not that's intended or not i'm happy to install it as the truth mm-hmm. for this purpose <laughs> okay <laughs> it's it, it's been decreed <laughs> the ice cream man keeps his victims cars out front. <laughs> yep um yeah the the way they eventually get him is uh is is pretty good i think uh it is it is i think that the the execution of it's a little disappointing just in that you want to see blood spray out of that thing, yeah. or the, the the liquid turn red? And even Clint Howard said that himself in the uh, in the interview on the Blu-ray. He's like, they were trying to have it both ways. They didn't want to go so far that it would be like this crazy gore fest because the director saw it in his head as a kids movie. But there was already a bunch of gore, so it's almost like you should have just gone that way. And he yeah. said, if they ever did an Ice Cream Man too, he'd, he'd forget about worrying about the kids and just like that. That should all look like grenadine after it's done. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a shame that they didn't that they didn't kind of go all in. But, but uh, and and who knows? Maybe he's not he's not dead. Maybe he he laid against the edge or something. Well, <laughs> yeah, who knows? Didn't who knows? Get him. Let me ask yeah. you this, Justin: Did you uh, contribute to the the crowdfunder for the the sequel? Wait, what? Did you not there know there was a crowdfunder for a, the sequel? Yeah, there was a crowdfunder for the the sequel. I think it was in twenty fourteen. The sequel was going to be called. This is amazing. Sunday bloody Sunday. <laughs> uh, I had no idea. Wait, who who was raising money for the sequel? Was it actually the director, or was um, was I'm it fans entirely, doing? It? I'm not entirely sure, but it made four thousand dollars. Oh, so uh, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, it didn't come to anything. But uh, that's not yeah. to say I wouldn't be interested in it. I'd seen it, and perhaps if I'd known about the crowdfunder, I might have chipped something in. Uh, yeah, I might have. I might have put some money towards that just for the fun of it. Um, I'm. I'm always a little wary when it comes to cult films getting sequels twenty years later because yeah, yeah, yeah. they they often just end up being a cover song of the re- original film and or or like they they know now twenty years later what what beats and what idiosyncrasies work for the crowds that build up around those films and then they just play into those strengths. So you end up with things like Deadlier Prey or Deadliest Prey or whatever the sequel to oh, Deadly Prey is called. Right, right. It's still pretty fun, but it's not Deadly Prey. Mm. Or, or um, uh, what, what was the one that was really notorious? Oh, what the fuck? Oh, there was a sequel to... Oh, um, it wasn't Miami Connection. Oh, um, fucking uh, Samurai Cop 2. Right. Like, yeah, you can't make a sequel to to a cult film that was made accidentally. <laughs> yeah. Once you're in on the joke, it stops being why that thing was special. Well, that, that is so, also why uh, Return to Sleepaway Camp doesn't work at all. Um, for the exact same reasons. Yeah, I think so. And and nothing against anybody who attempts it. I just think that no matter what, you're you're coming out of the gate, uh, sort of already losing a little bit because you, it's it's impossible for lightning to strike twice when it comes to a movie like this. I yeah. I, I think I do think you'd probably get a good a great performance out of Clint Howard again. I'm sure he'd be game for the role and he'd put his all into it. But Definitely. there'd just be some. Something off about it, I think, if another one was made. Unless it was one of those very rare inspiration moments where both the director and Clint Howard were like, okay, I've got the perfect idea. Let's do it. Let's, Let's it. fund it properly. Let's really go for it. And it's not like a fan service thing. Yeah. yeah. Then it might actually work. 
Mm-hmm. But it, but then the fans won't like it as much because they're waiting for more Ice Cream Man hijinks, and they've just made a movie about Ice Cream Man aging in an insane asylum and <laughs> whatever you know. Like yeah. like um, I always think uh, like my own movie Life Changer. I've had so many people ask me like, are you going to do a sequel? And I, I I've got an idea for a sequel in my head, but it's not a movie anybody who saw the first one really wants to see. Yeah. And <laughs> like <laughs> it's it just seems like I know where I'd go with the story, and I don't think it's where people want the story to go. Okay, right. So mm-hmm. it, it, if that makes sense but there'd be the few people and that's when a new cult might start up where it's like no i like this i i like how they went in this fresh direction and whatever i'm, I'm speculating on all of this right now but, <laughs> um, but uh at least that's how i see a lot of the fan sequels of the or the fan service sequels rather i want to just uh i want to just kind of take a look at the kind of uh the kind of epilogue to this and then we'll just kind of shoot to the kind of concluding comments because i the the way that this wraps up is really interesting to me so you kind of we jumped ahead to kind of a little bit after the kind of main, main events of the film roger is now mm-hmm. a rocketeer he asks where's small paul we hear that he's in therapy and it's seeded fairly obviously that uh small paul is uh has got ice cream on his mind <laughs> yes he's uh he's had the 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 bug of ice cream it's bit him yeah uh, and he's he's like self-grinding with a tiny little hand grinder his own ice cream in a dark room somewhere <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. and then i think it ends on a freeze frame which i always i always find amusing yeah same same yeah i, I think it's in general it's like it's a, it's a pretty good it's a pretty good way to uh, to kind of put a bow on the thing for me yeah it's a it's a it's a, the cycle continues right so uh, as the as but maybe because butch brickle for all we know butch brickle brickle might have been a killer too we don't know that yeah uh, maybe maybe like butch brickle kept a serial killer manifesto somewhere in his office and when when gregory got out of the insane asylum he found he's like this is the path of the ice cream man. Okay. <laughs> like, like, I mean, Butch like Brickle it's some was sort of like a, or way of the samurai, like manual or something for how to be a, a noble ice cream man warrior or something. <laughs> I'm going to say Butch was into some pretty shady stuff considering how he meets his end. Oh, that's true. Yeah. He gets gunned down in a drive-by in a fucking suburb. <laughs> Generally that happens to organized criminals. Yeah. And, yeah. and his name is Butch. Yeah, it's true. He's an yeah. He was he was maybe an enforcer or uh, or hitman or something. Who knows? And it's a good cover for hitman. In fact, um, what was it? the Iceman, right? Oh yeah, uh, the yeah. Iceman, Richard Kuklinski. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> um, Justin, like I said, I uh, not only had I not seen this before you suggested it, I'd never heard of it. This was a really interesting first watch for me. I had no idea what to make of it because we literally watched it. It finished, and we came upstairs straight to do this. So it was very fresh in my mind, and I don't think that my opinion on it was fully formed. And honestly, an hour and a half later, I'm still not convinced it is. Okay. Um, I'm certainly glad I've seen it, though, and there's a lot of people doing some really, really interesting work here. Yes. And I think it is a movie that even now, 20 years or so, maybe not 20 years, but after I watched it the first time, it's still not a movie I fully consider... I like. I definitely like the experience of watching it. I haven't formed an opinion on if it's a, a good movie at, in a traditional sense because it, it so obviously isn't. <laughs> okay. But, but it, it's so interesting and idiosyncratic and uh, has so much memorable, uh, so many memorable pieces to it that I can't say it's a bad film. 
Like it's not something that I can dismiss easily, and it's it's and it's definitely good enough that I dropped fucking forty five dollars on a goddamn vinegar syndrome Blu-ray. <laughs> so <laughs> like, there's got to be some like I have I have a, a, a slip cased special edition Blu-ray on my shelf of it. So I I obviously find enough value in it for that. Um, I do think it's a movie that is not it's not the some type of thing you you recommend to your horror casual friend who's like, oh, I really do like what Bloomhouse puts out. Yeah, I'll watch Ice Cream Man. It's it's not. <laughs> <laughs> not quite that. It's more for the the people who love weird cinema and are able to get past the obvious shortcomings of something in order yeah. to see the gold inside it. That's who I would recommend it to. And and everybody's got those friends. Yeah, um, yeah. And it is a, it's a good party movie. It's a really good like throw back a few beers or you know get a little twisted in some way, <laughs> shape, or form and yeah. sit, sit and watch the movie. You know, it's not. It, it's it is definitely not what somebody would say. Yes, this is uh this is one of those classic films in cinema. No, but it no. it definitely deserves to to be remembered, and it 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 I think it should be watched. I think um, going with an open mind, and hopefully you get something at least a unique experience out of it. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, Andy, anything else? I would say I would agree with Justin. I'd say definitely check it out. There's a lot a lot going on to commend it, I think. And uh, it's worth it for uh, David Norton's head in that big waffle cone alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Justin, before we uh, finish up, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, first off, Life Changer. Sure. Um, which uh, I caught at Psycholite Screams last year. Yeah, I wish I could have been at that festival. Uh, it's, I it's, was it's great. Yeah, I was in the middle of a just a lot of traveling, and I needed at least some time at home. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's reasonable. I mean, um, I, uh, I I think Life Changer is great. Yeah, I loved it very much. My wheelhouse. Uh, I appreciate that, guys. Um, it was definitely a movie that we made with very little money and a whole lot of passion, and everybody sort of working their asses off. And it, it has it seems to be paying off pretty nicely, which yeah. is is great because you have no idea when you're making something if it's anybody's going to respond to it at all. Oh, I uh, <laughs> And luckily, I mean, I'm going to Brazil. It plays this weekend in Copenhagen, uh, and my lead actor's there. I couldn't do the trip. And then I'm going to Brazil next month with it. And it's almost a full year later now, and I'm still traveling with it. Yeah, um, that's awesome. And it's, it's out already in a lot of different territories. So it's like, and it hits Netflix in the US, New Zealand, Australia, and South uh, Africa on April 16th. It's moved a lot further than we expected it to. And um, I think a lot of that just came from. Uh, I think we were just honest when we made it. We we weren't trying to do a trend. We weren't trying to like make a movie that oh this is popular right now. I bet we can make money with this. It was more like this is a good story. I think and I'd, it's a story I want to tell, and I feel needs to be told. And then we told that story. And I think that's like it or hate it. You know, it, it's a movie that's really close to me and is doing really well right now. And it's a Fright Fest Presents release in the UK. As well, yes, it's out. It's out uh, through Signature and Fright Fest yeah. Presents. Came out last month. Um, it, right now it's VOD only. I don't know if they're going to do a physical release. They seem to have um, cut back on their physical releases well, as was, of late. That was going to be my next question. <laughs> yeah. In the UK, I don't know. They were going to at one point, and then um, when the HMV went under briefly, we were caught up in That's that. Right. Yeah. And then I think HMV bounced back. I forget who put money into it, but I think H- HMV survived that after all or yeah. something like That's that. That's right. <laughs> so maybe they'll do one now. Okay. Uh, I guess it really depends on how the the, the, the Digital sales are going in the UK. I will say that uh, the special edition Blu-ray we, we put together for North America is region-free, and I specifically <laughs> made it that way just because I know that there are definitely people who live and die by physical, and uh, I'll be damned if um, I'm going to let the whole world go by without at least some available physical to somebody. Yeah, um, yeah that's great. And since it's such a small percentage of people who are actually going to take the time and import, like, you know, we're talking like 
10 people, 20 people might actually import it. I wasn't too worried about angering other territories because I know how few people will actually order it from overseas. Yeah. So, you know, if you want it and you want the physical release, then absolutely order it. There's five hours of bonus materials on it if you include the commentaries. Oh, wow. So, because there's like a 104-minute making of documentary. Wow, that's, uh, <laughs> wow. It's, it's 20 minutes longer than the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and um, where can people keep up with you social media-wise? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter, uh, Unstable Grounds, my handle. I'm on uh, Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I, I'm on LinkedIn, but I'm never on LinkedIn, <laughs> if that makes any sense. I think everyone, um, everyone's got a LinkedIn, but no one fucking uses it. <laughs> I add people every couple months, and then, uh, like, I don't add them. They add me, and then I approve them, and then I leave it alone. <laughs> so uh, I apologize to anyone on LinkedIn I haven't responded to. It's because I blocked all of your notifications because I'd get 40 a day. Um <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, regardless, though, um, I'm, I'm out there. I, I will talk to people. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty open book. Uh, <laughs> maybe that was the wrong way to phrase that. But uh, I'm, uh, I'm available. I'm out there to talk to. Uh, Justin, thanks so much for doing this. We really appreciate Justin, it. Justin, thanks, man. Yeah, really, no problem. Yeah, and, uh, Absolutely. I, I hope you enjoyed ice cream, man. Yeah. All right. I'll talk to you later. Cheers, man. Thank Easy. you so much. Okay. Cheers. So an interesting one there. <laughs> Yeah, the ice cream man. Uh, and I think that the way he talked about it, the way Justin talked about the film there, is kind of like so many conversations that we have on this podcast in that people kind of know that it's maybe technically not all that it might be and the trick is being able to look past that and seeing the good that the film's doing. But that I, I would say a lot of the films we've done, that's the, the real beauty of them. Yeah. If you look yeah. at films like PCs, it's not a good film. But it's a riot. But it's a really fun film and there's actually a lot to love about it. And I think the, the same can be said to an extent... <laughs> Uh, with the ice cream man yeah it's another one of those ones as well when we when we finished watching it I wasn't sure if I'd ever go back to it and I've come out the other side of the conversation almost certain that I will yeah and I think people should I think you should at least check it out yeah it's an it's a total curiosity you know, even if you that. watch it once and never watch it again give you'll it never try. forget that you've yeah, seen it yeah give it a try <laughs> And a big thanks to Justin for taking the time to uh, chat Absolutely, to us about it. Absolutely, yeah. And definitely, if you get the chance, check out Life Changer. It's definitely worth it. Yeah, like I say, it's um, out on VOD through Signature and Fright Fest Presents in the UK now. Yes, it's indeed. great. Check it out. And I guess that's just about it for another one. Yeah. So we will be back on Monday with another mini-sode where we'll be shooting through all the stuff. You know all we'll be talking stuff. about uh, episode 50. You know what uh, that means? Yeah. Our one year. One year anniversary. Wow. Yeah. So join us on Monday. We'll be revealing, amongst all the other stuff, feedback, Shockwaves 100, what we've been watching, Mitch's pitches, all that stuff. We'll be revealing our plans for the big 5-0. Wow. Yeah. And I tell you, it's going to be a good one. If you say so. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Right, well, that's fine. In the meantime, please do get in touch with us. We do love hearing from you. Facebook and Instagram. We are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at strongviolentpc and email longer thoughts to stronglanguageviolentscenes at gmail.com. And we will endeavour to read them. Yes, we will. I promise. Yeah. Yeah, you have a word. And if you want to change up where you're listening, I can give you a wee rundown of available options, Mitch. If no, you're interested, you had my curiosity, sir, but now you have my attention. <laughs> Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Podcast, Acast, TuneIn, and Podbean. And whichever one of those you're using, go on. You Rate, know, review, like, share, subscribe, all that, all that jazz, all that nonsense. But over and above anything else, please do keep listening. <laughs> Yeah, that would be nice. That would be nice. Big thank you to all of you for listening as well, of course. As always. Yeah, we love you. We will be back Monday morning. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye.
You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.